This Westwards mini masterclass is a production of Westwards, the Western Sydney Literature Organisation. For more information on Westwards and what we do, please go to westwards.com.au. Hello and welcome to today's mini masterclass with me, James Roy. I'm a producer at Westwards, and today I'm talking with Andrew Shaw. How are you, Andrew? I'm very well, thanks, James. How are you? I'm pretty well, thanks. So Andrew's in Fitzroy in Melbourne, um, and Andrew is, works as a freelancer for Article Writers Australia, which is a content writing agency. Uh, and today we're going to be talking about freelancing and writing, well, for lots of things that aren't what you would call fiction writing, but they're still creative writing mm. in a sense. And so I've got a few questions for Andrew, and we're going to have a bit of a chat. So... Um, are you are you ready to go, Andrew? I am. Yes, Excellent. Raring to go. Okay. So, um, a little bit of background. You you have something in common with me. In fact, you moved to Papua New Guinea when you were eight. I moved to Papua New Guinea when I was almost one. Um, oh, did you? Yeah, I did. Oh. Yeah. So you were living in Lai. Uh, when was that? Mm-hmm. That would have been we moved there in seventy two. Seventy. Oh, that's yeah. really around about the same time because we moved to um, Mount Hagen in 1969, in fact. So um, around about the same time. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, used, we used to make lots of trips up to Mount Hagen and the old Land Rover. And so oh. we, lo- we loved the cool air up there. It was very hot on the coast. What was your family doing up there? Dad was the uh, lecturer, uh, a lecturer in civil engineering at Lay Technical College. Uh. And later on, he became the principal. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, my family were doing... Doing the Lord's work, as they say, so um, <laughs> rather different. But no, I think there were a lot of uh, a lot of civil engineers and mining types in um, in Papua New Guinea then and still, I think. Yeah. So out of the nation, nation building. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you also say in in the the bio you sent me that you found yourself escaping into books a lot. Well, I can certainly concur with that, and and uh, identify with that because certainly when I was living in Papua New Guinea and then later in Fiji, I very much was into books. Um, we didn't have TV, of course, so we were into the books. And you're a big reader, as I was. How much of that do you think led you to an interest in putting words together for a living? Oh, a huge amount. Absolutely huge amount. I would read it absolutely to get my hands on. Um, and that didn't amount much in lay in, in those days. The lay library was pretty small. Um, but did have a really interesting range of books. I remember um, accidentally when I was about 13 coming across a book by William Burroughs, um, which shocked the hell out of me. Uh, I, I remember I was too scared to take it home um, just in case mum and dad asked what I was reading. But but no, there was there were lots of different topics and I think that really engaged me. It, it, as you said, there was no TV. There, there was very few. Uh, it, it wasn't like uh, now, over the internet and what have you, there were very few ways to find out about the world. And I found out about it through, well, trips around New Guinea, which is a fascinating place, but also through reading. So do you do you remember the moment when you kind of went, oh, this is something that I'd like to do? I Yes, I do. I do, in fact. Uh, I was reading the short and... It was talking about these people who were drowning and their relationships with each other and how tragic it was that they were drowning. And, and it was really heartfelt. And I guess the ending, I would have been about 12, I guess the ending 
for, um, it turned out there were rats on the ship. Mm. So he was just, you know, anthropomorphizing these, these rats. But I kind of guessed the ending and I thought, I can do better than that because <laughs> I was pretty cocky. And, um, or at least I thought, I can definitely do something as good as that. Mm. So um, that's when I started doing, concentrating on the writing and I was good at English, which helped as my English teacher was very encouraging. And um, I found it really easy just to, to write short stories. You know, sometimes at school you get asked to write about your holidays or whatever and, or, or something, or this teacher might give you a topic. And I found that I could always write, but I could find interesting things in the topic that the other kids didn't find. And that's how I began to think, oh, well, maybe I'm good at this because I wasn't very good at anything else, I can tell you. Um, and so it became the thing that sort of... Uh, identified me I suppose yeah so for, I mean this isn't about me but for me it was really a moment when I, I was reading um, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe and I, I saw through mm. the device he'd used uh, to basically tweak my emotions in a way that I found kind of uncomfortable and um, I remember reading that and going oh you're a pretty clever old bugger aren't you that you could kind mm. of you know man- manipulate my emotions by remote control and my very next thought at the time, and I was about the same age, I guess I was about 11 or so, my, my very next thought was, I reckon I can do that. So that, that, was, yeah. that was what set me on my path. So I think we've got quite a few similarities in that regard. Um, so yeah. you, you, yeah. Went, you, went from, uh, you went to University of Queensland uh, and you studied English literature as well as journalism. Um, mm-hmm. So far, and which you say you liked because it was practical, so far you're really, um, apart from the last part of that, that statement, you... It sounded to me like you're very much headed along the path towards writing fiction, especially when you mm. won the University of Canberra National Short Story Competition and had a play produced at La Mama in, in Melbourne, which is, congratulations, that's mm. quite a big deal, um, mm. and worked in Japan and, and played around with ideas of language. And then you worked at a number of LGBTIQ magazines as editor and journalist, and I suppose a lot of that is very much about story. At what point did you go, I don't just want to make stuff up, I want to record the world for people in, in the way that a journalist does? I mean, for me, it was, I, I realised pretty early on with the winning the short competition that I, I, you couldn't really make a living out of that. And I was already quite independent by that stage. I, I wasn't living at home or anything like that. And, and I thought, well, how can you earn a living writing? And um, uh, around the same time, I'd, I'd come out and I thought, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gay, I'm homosexual, and also um, I'm really good at writing. How can I put those two things together? <laughs> so I started haranguing the editor of um, LGBTIQ called MSO in Melbourne. And um, unfortunately for him, the, his office was literally the next street over from mine. So I do that thing where you're just very persistent and dropping all the time and email and everything. You say, how's it going? Have you done anything about that? And in the end, I just wore him down and he, he gave me a job. And I, I realized, oh, I, I can earn anything um, from writing. So what I do is I'd, I kind of do the journalism type stuff and the feature articles and entertainment reviews and what have you at work. And then I'd go home and I'd, I'd work on my short stories. Um, and so, but eventually the, the work side of it started to, the journalism side of it, the non-fiction side of it started to take hold. But that's and something, that's, that, 
sorry, that, that's a slightly risky strategy. Though you're either going to end up with a job or a restraining order. <laughs> no, he was sorry. He was really nice. Actually, he, he I uh, he did ask me one thing. I had to have him move his house. Move house. Oh, that's so a that's a big, he, he that's a big commitment. <laughs> he couldn't drive. Right. He didn't have a license. So he said, "You can drive, can't you?" And I said, "Yes, yes, anything." Yeah. And he said, "Okay, I'm moving. I'm moving house. Help me move house." So I drove this van for him one weekend and helped him shift all his furniture. Well, that's that's changed everything now. That's changed everything. And now I'm not sure who was getting played, but anyway, uh, <laughs> it's a big commitment helping someone move house. That uh, that's deserving of lifetime employment, I suppose. So um, you, that's how you got started in in this sort of in writing. Uh, non-fiction how do, how much yeah. of the, the the kind of thing you're writing about how much of your storytelling skills have been employed doing that that's a good question and it is very very important people want to read stories they if you read a news story and it's well written it will it will tell you the story about people what happened to those people or it will tell you a story about what happened to that environment or what is happening happening politically, but it's, you still use similar devices to uh, enthrall the reader, to get the reader interested in what you're writing, and you still have to use uh, a particular structure. Um, whether it's you know in in, in in fiction, it might be the hero's journey to use it. Um, you still have to use the structure in 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 journalism. It's not the same kind of structure, but you still use the same rhetorical devices. Um, you've just got to tone down the adjectives. Well, I think okay, that's that's very good advice. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Mark, it was Mark Twain who said, um, "If you want your writing to be perfect, go back and take out every goddamn that you've used, and your writing will be perfect." Right. <laughs> uh, it's very true. And my writing improved immensely when I took out adverbs and adjectives. I mean, one of my favorite one of my favorite writers is um, oh. More contemporaries, Ian McEwen and, and John Kirksey, but I also really like Evelyn War because he, if you read his writing, it's like he's hammering each point home like a journalist, and I believe he was a journalist or pretend journalist at one stage. Mm. Um, and he really, it's, it's like all he has in the sentence are the facts. All he has in the sentence is driving the plot, but it's the most amazing writing. It, he's got the most amazing style, and he largely does it without using words like largely. <laughs> very, very meta of you. Um, so one, once you got into this uh, writing uh, journalistic style material, were you still working on your own your own fiction in the evenings? Yeah, well, I would. Um, I don't do it so much now because by the end of the day when I've done a lot of writing, the last thing I want to do is a lot of writing, but... When I was an, an editor, you don't do so much writing, you do a lot more reading, I guess. Um, and, and as a journalist, you, it's not the same thing. But now what I use my fiction writing for is um, it's like sort of therapy. Um, the last book I, I, I tried to, well, I did write it. It, hasn't, it wasn't published, but I did write it. I got three quarters of the way through and realised it was about... Um, it was, it was about my relationship with my ex-wife when I came out. And I was absolutely horrified. I had no idea this is what the writing was doing. It was doing this to me. If you, did mm. that make sense? It was, it was like I, didn't, I was writing the words and I thought I was telling the story. 
And three quarters of the way through, I realized that the story was really, it was kind of writing about me. It, it, perhaps that's why I'm not a very good fiction writer, because um, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it when I realized, oh my God, all these elements are just so much like my own life. And I think <laughs> that, that that might be, that's why I was better at short stories because you, you, you don't get as much rope to hang yourself with a short story. You have to, it's more like journalism. You have to get those ideas and the plot across much more quickly. It's like, it's like a sketch versus, you know, a portrait. But when you, you've spent a day writing nonfiction um, and you come home and decide to pick up or turn the computer on and, and write some fiction or pick up the pen and write some fiction. Is there a certain sense of liberation there that, or do you still feel that you have to keep all those journalistic uh, principles, you know, stay true to those, the idea of making sure that all your leads work and even if they're made up leads, they all have to still work, right? The effect that journalism and, and editing has had on my writing is that it is much more sparse. So you keep things from like 20 years ago and you read them now. And it, it is much more sparse now than it used to be. It was a lot more verbose. And, um, and I think that's a really good thing. I, re I like writers who can get information, uh, fiction writers who can get the idea across with as few words as possible. I think that's really, you know, I, I love Japanese haiku, you know, the, the same thing, or, or sonnet for the same reason. Um, again, it all comes back to I'm, I'm better at writing short things than lots of things. That, that seems to be the way. Um, have to have a short attention span. Mm. <laughs> so when, you, when you're writing for a, um, a magazine or a, a blog or whatever your content is that you're, you're writing, uh Tell me how, how that works. Are you are you going to your content um, writing agency with an idea and saying, oh, do you, I want to write this thing. Can you find me a a market for it? Or are you or are they coming to you and saying, we've had a particular magazine ask you to write a story about X, and then you, you sort of go off and do that? Which or is well, it a combination first, of those? Well, the first model you described is um, is a, is, a, is a freelancer who isn't attached to an agency. Mm -hmm. So. I, I used to do that for a while and I had my own system. I used to call editors and ingratiate myself with some like helping them move house. <laughs> um, I used to I used to spend a lot of time, at least fifty percent of my time, trying to get the work and I would pitch ideas so I would say, Oh, there's this new um, Russian ballet coming to coming to Melbourne next year, you know, have profile on the you know, lead choreographer or or something like that. And so you pitch the idea hoping that the editor would go for it. And when you're a freelancer, it's really important to have those ideas um, and to be thinking and following um, the areas of work that you want to write in very closely and pitching to it and building relationships with editors. Now, I work for an agency, Alpha Writers Australia, and so the agency finds me that work and then tells me what they would like written and then I have to build the relationship either for an interview or through doing research, I have to uh, build my relationship with the, uh, the, the client um, and give the client what the client wants. And that the difference is you have to, you can't do your own style. If the client is an asset manager, and um, of course this is non-fiction, of course, the client is an asset manager and they run a massive um, uh, gas station or solar array or even a huge um, coal-fired power station, for example, all things I've written about, 
you have to get into that mindset and you have to know what that person wants. Writing as a freelancer for an agency that's driven by business is all about finding out what the client wants, the style, the angle, the content, and giving it to them. So you often have to go through a couple of amendments to get it exactly the way they want it. But you have to be very good at picking up the topic quickly and immersing yourself in, in, in that sector so you can come across as a writer convincingly. Do you ever find yourself uh, asking whether this is really a, a client that you want to write for? Very often. <laughs> very, very often. I've had clients where I've just like put the phone down after speaking with them and just screamed my head off or um, gone for a long walk. Uh, uh, clients sometimes have, they will tell you that one day that they want A, you'll write A, they will tell you next week that they want, really wanted B. I, I have literally written an article for one client and the next time about topic A and with a particular angle, they, they disagreed with a particular um, bit of regulation in their industry. Mm. And the next topic they sent me was the result of that. And that might be okay if you're like writing opinion, but, but this was representing their, their view in the industry. Mm. And I pointed out to them that those two topics were completely, they, they just couldn't coexist. They were completely opposite. And so that I think they, they dropped the second topic or something like that. So sometimes you, that was a really difficult client. And I complained so much eventually that they, the agency took that client off me. I think they could see that I was—I just had enough. I, I wrote for them for, for about a year, mm. um, but you know, enough was enough. That—that that was the story that I got And I suppose in the end, that becomes a, a question for the agent as to—you know—they start to go. This is yeah. now starting to become reputationally right. difficult for us to keep keep this this person and this client in the same room. So we need to kind of cut that's, our losses that's, a bit. That's what it was like. Mm. I mean, you always remain professional. You never ever, ever say anything to the client that's negative, especially you know when you're working for an agency. And if I were a freelancer still, not working for an agency, I probably would have tried harder to understand what that client was about. But trust me, this client—I don't think the client even knew what the client was about. They—they <laughs> they were kind of like the Donald Trump of clients, if that makes sense. There was no—you couldn't pin them down to what they wanted, and you couldn't pin them down to the. Their goals or anything like that, mm. and as I said earlier, knowing what their goals are and giving them what they need is really important. They didn't know what they really wanted or what the goals were, and that just made my job impossible. And I just got so frustrated in the end that I, I think they were passed off to a, a, another writer, which is what's good about writing for an agency. There was another writer there who could take right. that on, so we didn't lose the client. Mm. Whereas if you're you're actually employed by the client as their as their staffer then there's big questions to answer like what job do i go to when i walk out of this one that's right so you have to be if i had i must you know at any one time i can have anything like you know eight or nine clients that i'm writing for if i had been on staff then of course i would have had a much better understanding of what that organization was about well, you'd, you'd hope so I, wouldn't you I hope. I, I mean, I, I after I'd written probably ten articles for them, I still couldn't really tell you what they did. <laughs> um, 
and <laughs> I vaguely I could, but I think that 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 that's what was frustrating for me as a journalist. I always want to get to the bottom of what the story's about, and I I could never understand their story. I could never understand what they were about. Just in the same way that you know you might have a fictional character and you you, you can't understand what's this guy's motivation? Why, why is he doing this? It was a, it was the same it was the same thing with this this time. Which is what, what what must make it difficult for people trying to do a job like that for someone like Trump, who you mentioned a second ago, because part of part of his mo it seems to be is that you know we're not actually trying to make things clearer for people; we're actually trying to muddy the waters as much as we possibly can. Yeah, I can't. That, but that's my big thing with him: the whole fake news thing and the way he just discredits. He he's made he's made um, he's made facts. Not, not so much truth, because truth can be different for different people, but he's made facts indispens- uh, dispensable. Yeah. And that's what, that's really what I don't like about him as a journalist. I just think, oh my God, you can so easily fact check that what you said is rubbish. Um, how can you even say that? And, but luckily he's on the way out. Isn't he? You're, you're often given a topic. Uh, how, how often do you get a topic and you go, oh Lord, oh, this is going to be the longest two weeks of my life. Um, <laughs> and how often do you get a topic that you go, oh, this is going to be great, I want to keep doing more of this? It's more like, it's probably about 70-30. I, I don't very often get topics that I think, oh, this is going to be really hard because working for an agency, they figure out what you're good at. You also have to do, as a freelancer, you also have to figure out what you're good at and what you, have, what you can say, what you should say no to. So if you don't know anything about science, and you're not, or more more importantly, if, you, if you're not interested in science, don't take science jobs. And an agency will work out what you're good at. They'll work out that oh, Andrew's good at, you know, um, asset management stories because they're going. Andrew's good at asset management. Andrew's good at electronic stuff. Andrew's good at writing about I don't know, horses, whatever. Um, and then they'll pitch. They'll give you those sorts of stories. So the agency acts as a filter, which is which is really useful. And that's why agencies need a lot of different writers because not every writer can write on every topic. But, but I know as a fiction writer and also as an occasional non-fiction writer, you'll go out there thinking you're writing about X and you'll end up writing about Y uh, and you find mm. a far more interesting topic in that. Have there ever been occasions where you've gone, actually the story that they've asked me to write is interesting but i found a better one and you go back to the client and convince them that that's what they should be getting a story about? Yeah, that does happen sometimes, but only when you have, when, only after you've built up a relationship with the client where they trust you mm-hmm. and they trust, they trust your opinion. It's not something that you ought to do when you, when you're first starting out with the client. So that's sort they, of, they might take it the wrong way. That sort of brings me to my, my next and close to final question. Um, if you were a, a newcomer in this world or somebody who wanted to be a newcomer in this world, how do you go about, establishing that trust how you how do you go about making sure that you you are the you are very high up on that list of people that are called or considered when a job comes up how do you stop yourself from sliding off that uh and being passed over for other people because of course you don't come into it with experience you come into it quite inexperienced but at some point you have to find that experience so what what tips would you offer someone uh new to this world try and get a a little portfolio Try and get a little portfolio of work that you've done, and even if, even if, um, I'm talking now about non-fiction writing. Mm. Try and get a portfolio of work that you've done, even if no one's asked you to do it. Just write it and write it as well as you can, so that if an editor 
or the agency says to you, give me an example of your work, you can send them two or three things that you've done. Don't pretend that they've been published if they haven't, mm -hmm. but try your best to get them published because there are so many websites out there. Um, and that brings me to the next thing, is networking. Um, try as hard as you can to know who is likely to publish your things, make a list, and systematically check them off. Uh, contact them, check them off, make notes about what they say to you when they want you to call back, and always follow up. Following up is big. Um, and the final thing is deadlines. If you miss the deadline, you potentially stuffed a lot of people around and you've given yourself a bad reputation. Editors uh, and agencies are like elephants. They will never forget that you missed that deadline and let them down. And deadlines are hugely important. You have to have the discipline to, stick, to, to give them exactly what they ask for and to stick to the deadline, deliver it when they ask you to deliver it. You find that people, people oftentimes these days are a little bit, they feel they can be a bit more lax about deadlines to their detriment. No, it's called it's called a deadline for a reason. <laughs> you don't get it in, you're dead. <laughs> I, I I disagree with that. I don't. Oh, I'm, I'm not suggesting. I, I wasn't suggesting that that should be the approach, but I just wondered whether. No, that... I should have it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I don't. I, that that kind of waffly deadline or what is a soft deadline? How can you have a soft deadline? That doesn't know if that, that's what they call it. Um, oxymoron. You can't have a soft deadline. A, de a deadline is a deadline. You have to really stick to it. And um, that that's my advice for people starting out. Do some do some work, even if it's nothing, for yourself. So you have examples to give to people who are commissioning your work. Uh, Start networking and give a record of who you're networking with and who you're sending your stuff to and who you're calling to get jobs. And if they give you a deadline, a topic and a deadline, stick to both of them. Don't decide that you know better, especially when you're starting out. Don't decide that you know better than the person who's positioning you. So you're you're on LinkedIn. Do you think um, services like LinkedIn actually pay their way? Do you think you actually get work from that? I'd be very lucky not not to have, have used that. My jobs is usually come from networking in people in the industry. Um, uh, and this job uh, I've got through calling uh, agencies and just telling them about, luckily I had a whole lot of experience. And when I told um, this agency about my, my experience and what I could write about, they said, oh, that's great. In fact, I got, I got the gig because um, I called up and the boss said, uh, Leo Lee, my director, uh, she said, oh, look, I'll put you on the book, but I'm just not sure we don't really have much now. I said, oh, okay, no worries. Thank you very much. And she said, you know, the thing is, at the moment, I've got this, um, this story I've written about music equipment, and I don't know anybody who can write about music. And I said, I can write about music. <laughs> since, I was, since I was about 15, I've been an avid musician, and that which is not related to writing at all, is how I got the job because I shared something about myself that I could do that was useful to the agency at that point of time. So you never know where the job is going to come from, but you have to be proactive through networking and through calling up. That's how, that's, you know, that's how, you, that's how you get work. Well, it sounds like you're also saying that uh, you've got to be prepared to go and write about something that you actually don't know that much about and actually do your research and find out about it. Sure, as a journalist, you should you should have. If you're a writer or if you're a journalist, you know, you you, sh you should have research skills. That's 
that's important. You should be able to look at a topic and simplify it in your own head so that you can, a complex topic, so that you can write about it in a, in a simple fashion for a readership who might not know anything about it. Mm, okay. That's a, a huge skill to have because the world is very complex, but most people don't like reading complex things. It's off-putting, so they need writers and journalists to filter it for them. And in this, so world, in this world of fake news and alternative facts, we need to uh, get our research right, yeah? Exactly. That's really important. Journalists have always done that anyway, but it's even more important now because public confidence in, in journalists is, you know, has been shaken at a very high level. Mm. And um, But we know that journalists are still doing uh, a good job. Journalists do have ethics, they do have professional standards, and um, we do stick to them. Must be galling for someone who's a, a career journalist to be, you know, to come back to the topic we, we touched on earlier, to be at the back of the press room at the White House and have the president point at you and say, "You guys are the enemy of the people." That must be must be very hard to bite your tongue in those instances. I would have thought. Yeah, well, that's just too bad. You know, journalism is one of the is one of the most important parts of you know of, of society. It's, what do they call it? Speaking truth to power. Mm-hmm. If you can't say to someone in power. Why are you doing this? Then you're leading a dictatorship. Man, you're in trouble. You know, that's what journalists and that's what writers do, not just journalists, but writers as well. All right, so finally, when can we expect to see this novel? Oh, never going to happen. Never going to happen. I was, I was, I was doing, when I realised it was all about me, I thought, no, no way. <laughs> so, so I did send it to a couple of publishers and they said, oh, very good. Welcome to the first novel now. And um, I think I'm going to stick to short stories and, and my music from now on and, and leave the long form novel to the people who have longer attention spans. Yeah, I remember more emotional stamina. One of my favourite albums, in fact it's my my desert my Desert Island album is um uh, The Night Fly by Donald Fagan and and he says in there yeah. he says this in the line of notes it says this uh, this album does not bear any resemblance to any real person apart from someone with the approximate size, weight and appearance of Donald Fagan <laughs> living in um, wherever it was in, in 1958 or whatever. So uh, Probably LA. I'm a huge Steely, Steely Dan fan. Yeah, I think, it was pro- I think it was Burbank, yeah, Burbank, California. <laughs> Which is funnily, and, and I'll, I'll close with this, this is something that you might find interesting. I, I went a few years ago in Melbourne to see the, you might have gone yourself, to see the Timothy Burton exhibition at the um, Museum of Moving Images. I did. Yeah, I did. And and it was amazing. But the thing that I took from that, uh, I didn't take anything, you weren't allowed to, but the, the thing yeah. that I, I uh, learnt from that was when I looked at his some of his student writing from when he was living in Burbank, you know, deeply boring suburb that he ended up using in Edward Scissorhands and all the rest, when he, he's got some writing from when he was at school and the amazing thing is that it's actually quite unremarkable, the quality of the writing. So I'll often mm-hmm. say to students, you know what? The guy who wrote Edward Scissorhands actually wasn't that good a writer either. And look where he got to. So he found a story that mm-hmm. he wanted to tell and kept telling it. So anyway, that's not really relevant. Yeah, well, Sorry. he's a great visual artist, you know. He just he, he has the whole concept in his head, doesn't he? I mean, that exhibition was amazing because it showed that, you know, even if he's not the most brilliant writer he certainly had a brilliant way he had a, a fantastic sense of story and how to tell it and he's gone on to do lots of good films 
Mm. Didn't he do Mars Attacks? I love that thing. Yes, yeah, he did. And also, <laughs> um, and also uh, Sweeney Todd, which was not written by him, but was yeah. quite amazing. Yeah. Uh, Andrew Shaw, thank you so much for talking to us today. We really do appreciate it. Um, all the best with your freelancing and um, mm-hmm. and your novel. Thank you. I, I don't. I haven't. You yeah. might have lost faith in it, but none of us have. We think it'll still see it the light of day one day. <laughs> I can feel the love. <laughs> Maybe you should call it the removalist. That would be appropriate, wouldn't it? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Okay. Thanks so much for talking to us, and um, we'll talk again soon. Thank you. Thank you, James. Bye.